Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to uh, revisit a story that we're pretty familiar with, but I want to look at it again. Uh, maybe uh, as the live serial campaign back in the 80s said, I want to uh, taste it again for the first time. So if you have uh, Luke chapter 7, and we're going to be starting there. We're going to actually begin in verse 3018, I'm sorry. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So we've started right in the middle of a story, and we don't know the context, so I want to give you a little bit of the context over the next few minutes, and then we're going to have to back up and really kind of blow it up to see really what's going on. But we have John here, he is the cousin of uh, Jesus, uh, he is um, not only a, a follower of Jesus, but he is one who's prepared the way, in fact, Early on, even before he was born, it was talked about he was filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in his mother Elizabeth's womb uh, as he leapt for joy as Mary had walked in the room. And John has spent his entire life devoted towards preparing the way for Jesus, the one who is the Savior. And now we have right here in Luke, he sends a question to Jesus through his disciples. He says, hey... Jesus, just want to make sure, are you really the one? And that's really an odd question to ask. Why would, would John, who has been pre preparing the way, who about a year before, nine months before, as Jesus is walking up, he says, Behold the Lamb of God! And as Jesus approaches him, Jesus says, John, I want you to baptize me. And John says, no, you should baptize me. He's going to say, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. And yet you fast forward a year, and John asks the question, are you really the one? Or is there somebody else? So let's look at this passage real quickly one more time. John's disciples told John about all these things. So they have now come to John and said, here's what we know about Jesus. And after he hears about these things, he says, hmm, is this really the one? So, let's look, what has Jesus been doing? And what has John's disciples reported back to him that would cause John to question if Jesus really is the one? So, you have your Bibles with you, or maybe they're on your screen. Scroll back or flip back a few pages. We're going to go to Luke chapter 4. We've got to get a little bit of the context Luke chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. He's led out into uh, the desert by the Spirit where he's tempted. Afterwards, uh, the devil uh, leaves him. 
for a more opportune time. Jesus is then going to go to his hometown where he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me ask you this. Does that sound something like something a Messiah would do? Do you think a Messiah would say, I have been sent by God to proclaim the Lord's favor, to release the captives, to set free those who are in chains, to give sight to the blind? Is that a Messiah-like quality, yes or no? Absolutely. Okay, in fact, that is a prophecy from Isaiah 61. So, John's disciples, they come back to John and they say, hey, Jesus is saying that He is proclaiming release for the captives and giving sight to the blind. And John says, hmm, could this really be the one? That doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe there's something else going on in here. How about we, we skip down a little bit to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Jesus goes into Capernaum. There He begins teaching. And the people were amazed at His teaching. When John's disciples told John that Jesus was teaching and people were amazed at His teaching, does that sound like something a Messiah would do? Yes! John hears this and he says, hmm, could this really be the one? In that very same story, while he's there in the synagogue, a man is possessed by a demon. He starts calling out to Jesus. And Jesus says, be quiet. And then tells the demon, come out of him. And the demon came out of him. And all the people were amazed. Is that something you would expect a Messiah to do? If you're looking for a Messiah, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, guess what? This guy just drove out a demon and all the people were amazed. Are you thinking that's a good thing? Is that confirmation that this is the one? And yet here's John asking the question, is this really the one? Maybe... Maybe we missed something. Maybe we need to go down a little further. How about we look? just look at the title of the next section. Jesus heals what? Many. Well, this has to be the one. This is confirmation. He goes and He tells everybody, the, God has sent me. He gives a prophecy about Himself. He goes and starts teaching, and people are amazed. He drives out a demon, and people are amazed. And then he starts healing over and over again. He lays hands on them, and he heals all kinds of sicknesses and diseases. And yet, here we have John saying, Are you really the one? What's the deal, John? Why can't you see it? We all read it right here. Like, if you keep on reading. 
Jump into Luke chapter 5. Jesus is going to teach. And after He gets gets done teaching, He chooses to teach on a boat because there's so many people there. He gets in a boat and has Him go out a little bit so He can teach so people aren't crowding in on Him. After He finishes teaching, He says, hey, let's go out a little further and cast out your nets. And Simon says, look, we've been fishing all night. We hadn't caught a thing. But because you say so, we're going to do it. And they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. If you're wondering if this is the Messiah, and He's out hanging out in a boat, and He says, hey, throw your nets over here even though you hadn't caught anything, and all of a sudden you're struggling to to haul in that catch, does that sound like a miracle worker? You got to help me here. Does that sound like this is the Messiah? If you're if you pick up the paper and there's a guy in Eunice who's doing this stuff, are you thinking maybe this is the one? People are amazed at his teaching. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. He's catching fish, which is really amazing because we don't even have a body of water around here to catch anything in. He's doing all these things, and John says. Are you really the one? He's going to go on in Luke chapter 5. And there's a man with leprosy who comes to him and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man with leprosy. That is an absolute huge no-no. We know about the the laws of uncleanliness. You don't mess with people who are unclean. Not only is he risking his own spiritual uncleanliness by touching a man who's unclean, he's also touching a man who has a very infectious, horrible disease. Jesus, you don't do this! That's not right! But he touches the man, and instead of Jesus contracting his leprosy, Jesus' cleanliness, his holiness, is greater than the man's suffering. And he's healed right then. Does this sound like something a Messiah would do? At at this point, John's got to be, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. He's healing people. He's preaching. He's casting out demons. This is what I want. Why would John ask the question, are you really the one? Oh, and then we get to one of my most uh, favorite healings. It's the man who's a paralytic. And he's got four friends. And the four friends are carrying him around to go see Jesus. They go into, they go to the house where Jesus is teaching and they go to get in, but it's so packed, they can't get in there. But they don't walk away. They don't go home. They get this great idea. They're going to climb up onto the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and lower him down. Folks, Allow your imagination to run a little bit as this story is being played out. I love to imagine this story. 
What is the homeowner thinking when he's at his house and all of a sudden he sees like this dust start to fall down and all of a sudden this bright ray of light comes in as people have torn a hole in his roof? What is he thinking? I didn't call the cable guy. I mean, what's going on here? Why is somebody tearing apart my house? And people are, but this is a packed house. They can't even get in. They're in there really tight. But the, there's a hole that opens up above these people and they have nowhere to go. But they make room because all of a sudden this man is lowered down on his mat and people have to squeeze around to make room so this guy can get here. And everybody's thinking, what in the world is going on? And then it gets crazier because Jesus looks down at the man who cannot walk and says, your sins are forgiven. And the guy laying on the ground who cannot move probably just said, what was that? The guys who had just destroyed somebody else's house are looking down through the hole past Jesus at their buddy that is lying on the floor. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they say, what was that? And the Pharisees in the back of the room who just heard Jesus blaspheme and say that He was forgiving a man of his sins. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. They say, what was that? And Jesus says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk. But that you may know that I'm the Son of God. Pick up your mat and walk. John's disciples tell that story to John. And John says, is this really the one? Doesn't that confuse you? I mean, something is... Everything that Jesus does over and over again. Luke chapter 6, He's going to have a man whose hand is withered. He's going to take him up in front of a group of people and He's going to say, stretch out your hand. And His hand's going to stretch out. John's disciples will tell John that story. Does that sound like something a Messiah would do? Yes. And John says, but are you really the one? We're going to get a portion of what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. And then there's two more things that are going to occur in Luke chapter 7. Uh, a, a centurion who has a, a servant of his who is very sick and he's about to die. And there's going to be this great story of, of Jesus uh, meeting the centurion and, and Jesus is, they're going to head to his house and the centurion says, no, you don't need to go to my house. You have the power to say it and it will actually happen. And Jesus responded that he had such great faith and he healed the centurion's servant when he wasn't even in the room. And then the very next story is really almost the opposite. We have the great faith of the centurion. And then we have this next one. We have this, this widow who's going down the road. She's mourning the loss of her only son. Jesus sees her. He doesn't talk about her faith. 
She seems to display no faith that Jesus can do this. Jesus walks up and says, don't cry. And the walked over to the coffin that the boy was in. He touched the coffin and said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. How crazy is that story? Does that sound like something that only Son of God Messiah can do? John's disciples tell John the story of Jesus raising this dead boy back to life. And John's response is, are you really the one? And so my question is this, why in the world is John questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah? After all that he's done, he gets these reports back and he says, are you really the one? And I just want to say to John, duh, of course he's the one. But I've told you what Jesus did for the centurion and for the widow. I told you what he did for the man with the withered hand and the man possessed by a demon. And the man who was laying there on a mat after his buddies have just torn a hole in a roof that doesn't belong to any of them. What I didn't tell you about is what Jesus had done for John. You see, I, I didn't go back far enough. Because right before all of this happens, John, follower of Jesus, who had sacrificed, who lived out in the desert, who ate locust and wild honey and wore itchy clothes. He was malnourished. He fasted a lot. He was considered a weirdo and a crazy guy. You know what happens to him? He follows Jesus. He preaches about the One who's to come and Herod locks him in jail. You see, we can talk about the many miracles of Jesus and how He changed the lives of thousands of people. We can talk about healings. We can talk about these wonderful stories where God intervened in fantastic ways. And we can say, wow, that has to be the work of God. But if you're not the man with the withered hand, if you're not the centurion, if you're not the widow, if you're not the paralytic, if you're not one of the many that were healed, then you were one of the many who weren't healed. John was in prison. He was rotting in prison. And he knew that he was going to die soon. In fact, in the spring of the next year, Herod is going to have John beheaded. And so he's asking the question, can Jesus really be Messiah when I'm stuck in prison? 
And that's the question we ask ourselves, don't we? Can God really be God when my marriage is falling apart? When my child has fallen away? When my sister has cancer? When my dad is in a hospital bed? Can God be God when everything's falling apart? We're going to take a little bit of time this morning and I want to revisit a story that you may have heard. I shared this on a Wednesday night several years ago and it came up to my attention as I was studying this week. And uh, it's, it's a couple of chapters written by a man by the name of Gene Edwards in his book, The Prisoner in the Third Cell. And he's going to talk about John's question of are you really the one. And so if you would indulge me for the next few minutes, I just want to share this story with you. The scene is a village in Galilee called Nain. It's early evening. The streets of the town are packed with people waiting to bring their sick to Jesus. Some of the infirm are blind, some crippled, one is deaf, another frothing at the mouth is held in restraint by his family. An anxious mother holds her small, fevered baby in her arms. Another mother cradles a crippled child in her lap. All manner of people are there, racked by every disease known to man. All have one thing in common. They are seeking Jesus, hoping to receive healing or liberation at His hands. The focal point of this crowd is a house located on one of the smaller streets of the village. In every direction, the streets leading to this house are jammed with people. Walk through the courtyard and you, you will see that it too is filled. There is chaos and anxiety everywhere. Perhaps the thing that makes the waiting ones most anxious is to hear a cry of joy coming from within the house. And then a moment later, watch someone depart, praising God for their healing. At this moment, three roughly dressed, leather-skinned men appear at the courtyard gate. One of the disciples of Jesus recognizes these men. He rushes into the house. Just as he is about to tell his master the news of the arrival of these men, a crippled rises to his feet, raises his hands to heaven, and cries out to God in praise for being cured. Lord, the disciples of John are here. Jesus looked up. For a brief moment there was anxiety in his eyes. Please, dismiss the people. Bring John's disciples here immediately. With that, the Lord seated Himself on the floor and waited for the appearance of John's disciples. In a moment, the three men solemnly took their place in front of Jesus. There was a long pause. Then Nadab broke the silence. We have come from John. He's in prison now. Herod had him arrested. Yes, I know, replied the Lord. A few days ago, we were allowed to visit our teacher. He's chained in a filthy pit. There are rumors that it will not be long before Herod has him killed. There was a long pause. Nadab waited to see if Jesus had some response to this word. John sent us to you to ask you a question. It was the only request he made of us. We have traveled far to find you, yet 
there is but one question we came to ask you. Nadab paused again, his face flushed. John's question is, are you the Messiah? Or should we look for another? A long, stunned silence followed. Pain was felt in the heart of every man in the room. You could read it on the faces of John's three disciples. It was evident upon the faces of the twelve, but it was most evident upon the face of the Lord Himself. Jesus sighed deeply. For one brief moment, He dropped His head in what seemed to be a gesture of anguish. Looking up again, He addressed the question. Nadab returned to John. Tell him for me these things. First, tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, and the deaf hear. Then tell my cousin that the gospel is proclaimed, not only proclaimed, but received with gladness, and that men and women are being set free. The Lord paused, took a deep breath, a labored breath. Then slowly, purposefully, he continued. Lastly, Nadab, tell John, tell John. The Lord's voice choked for a moment. Pain was in his words. Tell my brother John. And blessed is he who is not offended with me. There was another pause. Jesus stood, embraced the three men, and then turned to His disciples. The hour is very late. It is time that we departed here. We must go to the next village. Please dismiss those waiting outside. John's three disciples stood stunned. After a long moment of obvious confusion, they turned and made their departure. The courtyard they crossed was now empty as were the streets they passed through. Tomorrow will hold for Jesus yet another village. For the disciples of John, tomorrow will hold the enigma of this day. But what will tomorrow hold for those who were sent home that evening? They all departed without being healed. And John, what will be his response to the strange words of his cousin? The three disciples of John squatted down in the slimy floor of the dungeon that had become John's home. Teacher, we have seen your cousin. Did you ask my question? We did. And his answer? Teacher, the answer was very strange and we don't understand it. John sighed. It was as though he knew this would be Nadab's response. His reply? Teacher, he said to tell you that the blind and dumb and the crippled receive sight and hearing and healing. Then He said to tell you that the good news is proclaimed and even received with joy. John turned those words over in his mind very slowly. After several minutes, his brow wrinkled. The prisoner leaned forward and asked, Is that all? No, teacher. He said one other thing and then he dismissed the crowd and bade us farewell. What was it? He said, tell John, and blessed is he who is not offended with me. There was a long silence as the three men studied the face of John, hoping to glimpse his reaction to those words. But as always, there was none. 
Finally, John asked, where was my cousin? He was in a village in Galilee called Nain. There were sick people everywhere, in the streets, the lanes, the alleys, all were filled with people wanting to be healed. The place was overrun with suffering souls. Were they being healed? Asked John. Many were healed. With those words, John's interest quickened. His frame straightened. Did you say many? Responded John. Yes, teacher, many. Many, asked John again. Nadab was puzzled. Yes, teacher, he answered again. Many were being healed. Many, repeated John quietly to himself. Then he leaned forward. Many, Nadab? Many were healed, but not all. For a brief instant, Nadab was as a lost as what John was saying. Then his own eyes lit up, revealing the shock of what John was observing. Yes, teacher, you're right. There are many who were being healed that day, but not all. Not all. John stared vacantly into space. He had at last found the answer to the questions which had been troubling him so deeply. But at that moment, there was someone else who was struggling with the same dilemma. As day dawned in the village of Nain, the multitude that had gathered there the night before received unbearable shock. Jesus had departed the village the night before, soon after He dismissed the crowd for the evening. Jesus was gone. And no one knew where. That morning a mother who had come all the way from Damascus carrying her crippled child, would begin the long trek back home, still carrying a beloved child with a never-to-be-healed twisted foot. Throughout the rest of her long life, this mother would wonder why the Lord had not waited just a few more moments before dismissing the crowd, for she was next in line. And blessed are you who are not offended with me. That same morning an old man was guided back to his home by a friend, there ever to wonder until the day he died what sight might have been like if only he had been able to reach the master healer just a few minutes earlier. But his destiny would be forever a life of darkness and wondering. And blessed is he who is not offended with me. A mother will return home with her young daughter who will forever remain disfigured because of a childhood accident. Throughout that despondent day and on into the following weeks and years, that mother will look down... I'm sorry. That mother will look down into the face of her child and often hear her ask why she was not healed that day in Galilee. After all, mother, so many others were healed. The mother will first give one answer and then another. Those answers will satisfy neither the mother nor the daughter. Both will forever wonder why the Lord left them that evening, not caring enough to remain a little longer. The mother will die and go to her grave. Her daughter will grow up to womanhood, carrying her disfigurement through her life. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. These and many others with their more tragic stories departed the village of Nain that morning. Each so downcast that words could not express their feelings of hopelessness. Worst of all, from God, 
came no explanation concerning His ways. Many were healed, but not all. And blessed is He who is not offended with me. For a family that I love so dearly, I can't express my sorrow that you're feeling right now. And for those of you in this room who've experienced similar losses, who you've seen God do amazing things from from sunrises and sunsets and little babies born, and you've heard stories of healings of people and God working in powerful ways, and you're going to go out later on this month or this year, and you're going to look at the tombstone of the spouse that you lost and wonder, but God, are you really the one? And Jesus healed many. And He says to all of us today, blessed are you when you're not offended with Me. He says, don't give up just when I don't meet your expectations. I'm God and I'm Lord and I'm Messiah on really, really bad days. And even when you don't see the healing in your life, Trust Me when I tell you I am the God that heals. And it might be the healing that comes in this life. And it may be the healing that comes as we are transformed into our new bodies. But we have a God who heals. Even on bad days. And we have a God who loves and a God who cares even when our prayers seem unanswered. Even when we lose loved ones. God is still God. And His promises is true. And His plans we can depend on. He has a plan and a place for us all. And as you find yourself wandering around in the empty village, wondering where Jesus went, don't lose faith. He's still our Messiah. If you're struggling with those questions, as really all of us have, I encourage you to find yourself at the feet of Jesus. Praising a God who gives hope even in the darkness. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.